bread aisle? Are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread amplified. Want to take a shower with Mitch? Hey Siri, play Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. I couldn't find Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon in your music. Ugh, she never works. Direct from Montreal, Canada, this is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Joining me on the phone, it is a Backman Turner drummer and, and, Delinquent Records President Mark LaFrance. And some of you are thinking, well, who's Mark LaFrance? Well, Mark is somebody who has sang and played on pretty much every record that you have ever loved or owned, including records by Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, uh, Blue Murder, The Cult, David Lee Roth, Scorpions, Black Veil Brides, Alice Cooper, Loverboy, Payolas, Glass Tiger, Chilliwack. Should I go on? Because I could. His uh, credits stretch over 100 albums, and it's all albums that, that we've loved. In fact, there's a famous, uh, or, or yeah, famous, famous photo running around the internet these days where uh, they are in the studio recording Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood album, and uh, Mark is there with uh, Brian Adams and uh, Jack Blades of a uh, Night Ranger and they are doing backing vocals on a song. So, yeah, you 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 know him, you love him. Or you might not know him, but I know you love him. Uh, anyway, without further ado, I give you the one, the only, Mark LaFrance. We are speaking with uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive drummer Mark LaFrance. And, of course, some of you might uh, have seen his name on a whole bunch of albums from years ago, from Loverboy to Motley Crue to Blue Murder to Little Caesar to Electric Boys, David Lee Roth, the, nonstop. And, of course, a picture of him singing with Vince Neil, uh, Jack Blades, and, and Brian Adams has been making the rounds on the uh, wonderful Internet. Uh, it is uh, Bonjour, Marc LaFrance. How are you? Bonjour. Comment ça va? Ça va très bien. <laughs> now, your story really intrigues me because, listen... I spend a lot of time speaking to frontline artists. If you look at the last episode, I just had Rob Halford on, and, and I've, I just finished an interview with Frank Hannon of Tesla, and so I've got... But it, it's, it's your story in particular that interests me, because a lot of fans don't know that you have been on pretty much every album that they've ever loved. So, but let, let's first get caught up with Backman <laughs> Turner. Right, let's get caught up with Backman Turner Overdrive real quick. The band uh, took a break for, for a few years, came back, in 2009. Uh, yes, correct. Talk to me about that. First, yeah. That was amazing. I think our first big show was, uh, uh, we rehearsed, did a rehearsal, I remember, uh, about a week of rehearsals in Winnipeg. And then our first major show was actually Sweden Rocks, which was absolutely amazing. I don't know if you ever heard of that festival, but it's like one of the premier festivals in Europe. They have, I think they have about three different stages or whatever, but the production is unbelievable. We played the night before us, Aerosmith play, debuted. It was the first time after uh, Steve Tyler, and they had a little bit of a, they were, you know, it was their first gig back together. And then we warmed up. We were the band just before uh, Guns N' Roses. So it was really exciting time. It was. Wow. Really, really, really amazing. Listen, and Sweden Rock is the great one of the greatest festivals out there. You've got that. You've got Wacken. You've got a few. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you this from a Kiss perspective real quick. With Backman Turner, do you still do the song Rock and Roll Hell? Do you still perform that song? Because it was obviously eventually covered by Kiss and written by Jim Valance. Is that one of the songs that still shows up in the set list every so often? No, 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 I don't. We, we don't do that. I mean, we do a lot of it, you know, like uh, Not Fragile, and which is, to me is one of my favorite tunes. I mean, when Fred sings that, it's just, uh, it's just the guy's just, Still, you know, there's a lot of singers out the old, especially the the older group of singers and stuff. A lot of the guys, because they sang so much, their voices aren't, you know, as quite what they used to be. But this guy, man, it's like every night, it's it's like this refrigerator truck just coming through. It's pretty pretty amazing. So let me ask you about some of this this past because you you look at that. It was written by Jim Valance and it connected to Kiss and Kisses and then it connects it to Brian Adams. And there seems to have been this period of time in the 80s where everybody or everything was sort of going on in Vancouver and then of course you ended up working on all these different albums so I'm going to start with with talking about these albums um a, sure. a, a documentary producer came to me and had this picture of you with Brian Adams and Jack Blades and Vince Neil and said listen I don't know who took this picture and I want to use it in this documentary can you put it on your socials and then, of course, later on, Nikki Six grabbed it from my socials and yes, started putting it on his, yes, <laughs> uncredited, but that's okay. Uh, and then he started repurposing it on, on his socials. And uh, talk to me a little bit about that. How, how does Mark LaFrance, a uh, guy out in Vancouver, get in with Little Mountain Studios, Brian Adams, Jack, how do you end up on these, what's the journey, basically? It was a well. It was an amazing. I moved to Vancouver in 1980, and I was for the four years before that. I was in a band called Crocus. Not to be uh, confused with the Crocus, I believe, from the Netherlands or whatever. I think, uh, I think. the Swiss band. It's Swiss band, sorry, but uh, our our band was from Winnipeg, and it was C R O W C U F F. And uh, we, had, ironically, we had two ex Guess Who members in at the time, um, Bill Wallace and uh greg lasky so after doing that band we had quite some success in canada with you know moderate success you know mostly out in western canada did have a number one single in guatemala which was quite funny but i moved to vancouver and i started uh doing sessions i, I went around to all the production houses and and ggrp which is one of the production houses there i got a meeting with uh brian griffith next thing you know boom i'm doing singing on piles of sessions jingles and stuff like that that's where i met brian adams we were doing at the time we were doing a lot of session work together so it was a it was a real camaraderie and of course bob rock was there doing working on on some of those things and and uh and mike fraser so it was like a real close unit of people that worked together all the time so when projects came up you'd be sitting doing a chevy commercial and bob rock would walk through the hall and go hey mark i'm doing uh, Blue Nerd, a band called Blue Murder next week. Can you come in and do background vocals? Sure. So it was like that. That's kind of how the whole thing sort of started. And it just continued on for quite a few years after that, obviously, because the studio, uh, after that, I mean, that Loverboy album, Loving Every Minute, or not Loving Every Minute, but the, the first uh, Loverboy album that hit, that's kind of the one that exploded that studio. Because then after that, Bon Jovi, because Fairburn had produced the first 
Lover Boy album, which went big, and then Bon Jovi, and then all the other ones just followed. So that's hopefully I've sort of given you a little bit of insight how it kind yeah. of fell together. And it's amazing for me to think that Brian Adams was in there doing session work because you don't think of Brian Adams as a session musician, not not in 2019, right? I mean, no, no, but he was. He was. I mean, he's. I mean, still. I mean, I've seen him. We had a good fortune of doing the. Uh, the Invictus games in Toronto. So it was great because we got to sit around for about a half an hour and, and reminisce about our past. I hadn't seen him in several years, but uh, it really was quite an amazing thing to regroup. And I went to see him, you know, singing and uh, he just, the guy still sings so amazingly well. Live. He's one of the top, he's, there's another guy who sings, you know, just as good as his records, if not, better he's so, I agree. so consistent he's one of the best paul yeah. rogers another amazing guy we had good fortune to do in some dates we did a crashy cross canada tour with him with backman turner and he's he's another amazing one he is and i and i have to say one of the best performances i've ever heard from brian is uh this past summer in uh, syracuse i was uh, backstage with uh with mickey mickey curry yeah and yeah. Brian was in the room next door with an acoustic guitar and he pulled it out and he did a version of the Eurythmic Sweet Dreams. Just wow. him, just him in a voice. And so, so yeah. here, here you are backstage and Brian Adams doing Sweet Dreams. It was, yeah. I don't want to say it was haunting. It, it was just, it was just perfect. It just, it was just perfect. And, and unfortunately, you know, listen, there's no video of it. There's no, yeah. anyway, but, but one of those things, one of those things right? Yeah, it was. I mean, it, it was such a close community. I remember doing, I was doing some demos with another band called Straight Lines, who was uh, signed to CBS Records at the time, and I just joined the band. So I was, you know, we were in the studio, and Adams was doing an album. I can't remember which one, and because there are two, there are two studios. There was A and B, or. Uh, Studio A, Studio B, that were the big rooms at Little Mountain. So he was doing his, his album on the other side. I think it was Studio A. I always get confused. <laughs> but you know, th- he came in with a with a half inch tape saying, "Mark, you got to sing. Look at all you got to do is put the vocal on this." And unfortunately, I don't remember what the song. Well, I don't. I didn't ask him what the song was. But at the time, of course, I had just joined the band, so the other guys in the band, I don't think, were keen on covering somebody else's tune. But some, I often think about that that day how you know you know it's not every day yet brian adams coming in with the two inch recording of you know master tape to to be able to just slap a vocal on uh it's a pretty pretty interesting little tidbit there it, it is and, and of course uh you know jim valance was also part of that whole thing but I, i'm gonna ask you this uh, little mountain studio or sound little mountain sound studio to get it correct yes uh, is known for the drum sound, right? We always talk about the drum sound, and you're a drummer. You're you're obviously drumming with Backman Turner. What was it about Little Mountain? How was it set up? Why is there? Why is this drum sound so different than the drum sound at Studio X Y Z in you know San Diego? What what was it about Little Mountain and the drum room or the drum whatever? Well, what it was is that they had the loading bay. And they would see, you know, it was they'd use that loading bay to get that ambient sound for the drums. So uh, that was the big catch there. But I mean, it was, I mean, that was an amazing, that really added to the sound of the drums and stuff like that. But I mean, you can't remember, I mean, you can't forget the amazing producers that were working in that studio, you know, Bob Rock, Bruce Fairburn, 
David Foster did several albums there too. I worked on a Payola's album. Actually, it was a Brian Adam, a Brian and Adams Valance tune on the um, the Payola's album that David Foster produced. That, uh, so I mean, it was there was so many. It was it was one of those places that just everything lined up. Because you had the the talent, you, you know, the great bands that came in there. You had the producers. You had the the facility was you know state of the art, and and Vancouver, had, you know, the you know the vibe of Vancouver was, uh, you know, it's a pretty amazing city, and all of those things combined, I think, made that place a magical magical space to record it really did now now since we're, we're going to start talking about some of the albums you've been on and that and that picture that went out on the internet but in yes. terms of being a a background singer who gets called in is there and i and i say this respectfully but is there, is there a career in that is there is there is there money in that can can you make a go at it or is it just hey we need a buddy can you be that buddy do you know what i mean no, no, it was. I mean, there was a, a, a the other one of the other singers that I was paired with a lot was Dave Steele, who's an amazing singer. So I, I have to mention him. The t- between the two of us, we sort of combined to make this sound and that that really worked uh, really well for doing like gang vocals because a lot of people think you'd bring your buddies in. And I've been on sessions where the uh, you know I'm not going to mention the name of the act, but it's it's happened several times where you'd be in the studio and hey let's get the road crew in here and da 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 you get everybody in there and it just you know the next day you're back in with the real singers re re singing it all the time and and part of it was that we were we were working almost every day we were doing sessions not just in Little Mound but all over Vancouver there were several studios so we were we were singing almost every day doing sessions all the time. So we were fast and able to do the job that the producers needed to get the sounds that they needed. And, and yes, we got paid well. And, uh, you know, now with the neighboring rights regime, we get, uh, paid royalties from all over the world. So it's, it's, it it ended up being a plus, plus, plus. Wow. That's great. And and I know what you mean about that. Uh, There was a band once that asked me and, and a couple of the buddies, yeah, Hey, come sing on the song. We need some background vocals. And they played it back and you could hear me squawking like a, (laughs) like an injured chicken. And they just went, yeah, okay, that's not going to work. And I was like, no, it's not. I'm very critical of my, my, uh, yeah, yeah, but I've been there and I know what it's like. So, okay. So let's get to this picture, and from the picture, we'll lead to other stuff. And uh, we might have to do a part two because we're we've got about half an hour today. So, not a problem. You're you're in this picture that's on the internet that that I put up there you're, you're with Jack Blades, Vince Neil. It's the Doctor Feel Good Sessions. So how does that is that again? So it's part of, you're part of this sort of local scene, and they say come on in. Um, so how does Jack Blades end up with Motley Crue? Oh, and Steven Tyler was there too. So how does this well, Steve, all sort of come well, together? Steven Tyler, the, the, uh, uh, Steven Tyler, Aerosmith were recording their album on the other, in studio, in the other studio. So, you know, everybody's intermingling in between, you know, so you'd go into the, it was quite the thing because you'd be, you know, I think I, on that particular album did, I put in over 50 hours of studio of studio time working so you'd be but you wouldn't be singing all the time so you'd be you do you know you do one song they'd have the engineer would have to set up for the next song so you'd be out 
they would they had a nice little lounge and so you'd be sitting around just chatting with you know because Steve Tyler was on a break or whatever you'd be so everybody was kind of it was like a little community I think Jack Blades was a friend of either Vince or Tommy Lee I can't remember they were friends so there was uh, he was up visiting and happened to be sit in on that particular song so now you, and then uh, well, I was going to say just real quick you're just primarily doing backing vocals it, we're, we're not using you to correct vocals or to enhance or 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 to take away from the lead singer it, it's really just extra texture it's not uh, what it is absolutely i mean the big thing people like when you're go in to be when you're a singer professional background singer you're going in to enhance to back up the person's there you're not going there to make your voice if your voice sticks out too much you're gone. You got to be. You're there to blend and reinforce what, what, whatever singer you're backing up. You know, because that that's 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 what you do. You're trying not to, to to steal the limelight. Limelight. You're there to to blend and to make it work. Okay. So that's the you know. But so it was. Yeah. So it, that's that's the kind of thing. You're there for support. And to and to just you know make sure that the best possible performance and enhance and like in the choruses, obviously in choruses you you do you know there's a lot of uh, uh, different parts that you would sing and you know, wouldn't just be singing like one vocal part and there it would be you know lots of multi-tracking and stuff like that happening like similar to like what Queen used to do where you just and Bob was Bob Rock was the, just had a magical way of of recording the vocals and you know, I mean, I'd get to produce some stuff now and I believe me from working with these amazing producers, it's, it's, you know, I was sitting there watching these guys work. So it gave you, it was like being in producing high school <laughs> or university rather. Now, when you look at, at the bands you've worked with, are you, were you friends at the time or are you friends with, with the Nikki sixes and the Tommy Lee's of this world? Or were you the guys that were brought in after the sessions were done to, to add stuff. I mean, was it, was it, Oh, they were around. I mean, they were Nikki six and, and Tommy Lee in particular were, were quite active and, you know, in being involved in, in, uh, in making sure, you know, being a part of what we were singing and stuff like that, for sure. They're, they're pretty, you know, a lot of the artists are like hands on different situations. Some of them, some of the artists that you do background vocals with a little bit less than others, but, uh, uh, definitely, I mean, the Motley guys, uh, especially uh, Nikki Six and Tommy Lee and Nick Mars and and Vince was around as as well. And it was uh, you know they'd be coming in all the time and listening to what we were doing. And if they didn't like, if they heard something they didn't like, we change it. <laughs> you you do the the Doctor Feelgood album, and then you also did the Motley Crew Motley Crew 1994 album. In terms Correct. of yeah. in terms of vibe and in terms of energy. Was the, was there a big difference? Were, were were the crew guys just the crew guys, or was Doctor Feelgood a whole you know party extravaganza with strippers and going out, and then the other one was more subdued, or or were they just sort of the same? Because you know there's a different no, singer, actually, there's different actually, times. Actually, the Motley uh, the Doctor Feelgood album at the time, all of the guys were were nobody was drinking. There was and they weren't doing any drugs and stuff that I that I saw. Apparently, everybody was on the you know, was on the, on the, uh, wagon, I mean, or whatever. And I know Nikki six, I don't think ever did fall off it, but I, I don't know a lot about the, 
the other guys. But I, I remember going to the Doctor Fieldgood concert. It was quite funny. We went backstage. It was they had Motley Crue, the detox, or the I can't remember what it was. It was something to, to the effect that it was the clean room or whatever. So they were. I know they were pretty dedicated to keeping straight and narrow, especially through the, the production of that album. And, and, and how? It, I mean, and it, and it obviously uh, paid off, you know. And how was the vibe on the '94 album? Because now you've got, you know, Nirvana's hit. The r- records are are not selling, or at least the you know the quote unquote hair bands, even though Motley Crue's not one. But they, yeah. they were, was that a different vibe? Was there was there a sense of desperation? Was there a sense of oh my god? Or was there like oh, no, this is exciting? We're gonna no. Kick they it. were no. They were they were very uh, John Carabi album. They were very excited about that. And it, you know, it's like I don't know. It's uh, you know a lot of people. You know, I mean, I've worked on some hugely successful records, and I've worked on some albums that weren't successful at all. But while you're doing them, you're in, just as into them as the as the big ones. You know, but you don't. Cause you never know how things are good when you're when i was working on the dr feelgood or or uh the cult album for instance i did the uh sonic temple album that was one of the albums i did with bob and i remember i i'd never heard of the cult at that time and i remember being in there and singing and thought wow what a this is what this is incredible and then of course the album came out and it was just it was it was amazing but you didn't know that these records were going to be big i mean who would have known that uh like for the the uh, Dr. Fieldgood album, Kickstart My Heart would have been one of the biggest songs off that album. It's been in about 22 different movies or TV shows. That song is just huge. Massive but song. You just, you did, but you didn't know that. I mean, I remember I was doing, uh, I think, working on uh, a Jan Arden thing with Bob, you know, last year or whenever it was. And, and I remember him bringing it up to me saying, did you? Well, you know, when we were doing that, you know, the Dr. Field, who would have thought that Kickstart My Heart was going to be, it's a great tune, but who would have thought that was the one that was going to be the humongous killer track, you know, that it turned out to be. Well, since you mentioned albums that are successful and not successful, I'm going to ask you about about Blue Murder. Blue Murder is an album that fans love. Yeah, um, but ultimately the band wasn't successful for whatever reason. Uh, talk to me about that one. What were some of the expectations going in? You've got Sykes on this. You, you, you've got everybody pulling for it. That first album, people love it. Um, what was that session like? Was that one a little bit more difficult because of the personnel involved? And and ultimately, why do you think it just didn't take off? I don't know. Who knows what, why these things don't work out? But to tell you again, working on that album, I never. I mean, there was it was totally like everybody was into it, and uh, and I don't remember having any difficulty. You know, when we were doing the vocals, John was great. Everybody was very cordial. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. Sometimes artists plant stuff. I think to, to try to create. You know. Uh, create uh, drama so like maybe that helps the album sell better or something but I, I don't know i didn't see any uh hostility or anything like that during work at working on working that with, album with them. But, no i didn't so let no. me ask you this you're you're also a drummer uh, yes has there been any times where you've been in the studio and they said hey listen we need something punched up can you just get behind the kit and do it are you primarily just background vocals or have you done some, you know, uh, post-production drumming or something? You know, have you have you done the other part of, of your 
Yeah, skills. Oh, yeah. So I played on some a uh, couple of Long John Baldry albums. I played on some Straight Line stuff. Uh, um, a band, uh, one of the earlier uh, earliest albums that I did, at Little Mountain. Actually, was before actually before the Lover Boys or the no, it wouldn't be before Lover Boy, but it was a, a, a songwriter called Bruce Miller, who's actually he's become quite he's become quite a successful country uh, songwriter. But we did an album. Actually, did most of the beds and stuff at Little Mountain Sound years ago. So I played drums on that. Was, I'd have to look through it. <laughs> There's so many different things I've done. Sometimes it's hard to remember uh, the right. times. I've actually finally did last year chronolo- chronologically put together what you know all these different projects that I've worked on. So, but it, uh, but in terms of these big albums, there you didn't do any both, fixing yeah. or anything like that. No, no, no. So, so you're did, not on uh, a Loverboy album. You're not on David Lee Roth's album. You're not. I'm on. Yeah, yeah. I'm on. I'm. Yeah, I sang on Loverboy albums. Right, but I, but you didn't play and, any and drums on them. Did, no, I didn't play drums. Okay. No. All right. So let's get to David Lee Roth. You, of course, uh, were part of uh, a little ain't enough. Uh, That's his right. '91 album. Uh, talk to me about that, because D- Dave is not known to be necessarily the best singer, but certainly the best frontman. I mean, you you can't compete to the sh- the showmanship of David Lee Roth. It's it's larger than life. What's it like in the studio when it's not that big presentation with the big stage and Eddie Van Halen behind, and he's in the studio in front of a, a little condenser mic doing his thing? Is you know, it's it's still larger than life. A lot of a lot of the albums, like uh, a lot of the albums that I uh, like the Doctor Fieldwood album. Not a you know Vince didn't do many background vocals on that, but actually uh, David Lee did come and sing some background parts with us with uh, David and I, and uh, and he was quite an interesting character. I mean, they, he used he loved the 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 uh, the drum special drum room that they had the loading bay, which they used for the drums. He had his his uh, rock climbing wall in there, so in between takes he'd be in there. You know, climbing, practicing mountain climbing, which he loves to do. So it was pretty. Uh, he's an interesting character for sure. So he was mountain climbing during. The... Okay, why not? Um, yeah. But b- before we get totally caught up in the whole discography discussion, uh, you do have Delinquent Records. Yeah. Um, and there is a band, of course, Cease and Desist. But uh, talk to me a little bit about Delinquent Records. What What is that? And and. If I'm a fan out in record world, can I send you a demo, or is it really not about sending demos? What is Delinquent Records, and where it, can people it, find it? It was actually Delinquent Records was. Uh, I started when I, I did a solo album, which uh, unfortunately didn't do it at Little Mountain, but I did do it at Paul Dean, the guitar player from Lover Loverboy's place. He had a beautiful SSL and produced an album for me. So at the time, I decided to start my own label and released that record it's called the mark lafrance record it got i didn't get huge success but it did enable me to start this label and start shopping other bands i would go to uh southern france where there was a big conference called the medem conference so i would take other artists and shop and back in the day you could get you know even you could get uh deals to release albums in territories like germany where you know, you might get ten thousand dollar U.S. advance. It was a whole different planet than it is now, obviously, because the CDs are done 
But back then you could get territory deals and actually make money. So I would go and shop different artists. So I shopped a lot of artists and had some good success there for a while doing that. It was interesting for me because it was an avenue to really sort of study the music business side of the industry. And, you know, a lot of artists uh, fear that, but I, I sort of had a hunger for it and found it very very enlightening and it's served me well over the years just because I've done that. And I still do. I produced a band out of, uh, uh, Australia with the song writer, uh, Roger Frankham and a band called, uh, Thunderbird, which is kind of a hard edged record. And so I'm still doing stuff, but more, more stuff that I'll produce and work with and stuff. But there's, it's it's still an active uh, label actually working a deal out right now to put a, uh, get the catalog out there for digital downloads. Yeah, and I was actually going to ask you about Thunderbird. So on uh, April 25th, 2018, you, you released an album called Thunderbirds. Uh, Mike Frazier yes. was involved yes, yes, in that. Mike, exactly. Uh, but by the way, all these guys that you know, the, the Bob Rocks and the Mike Frazier's, uh, I've interviewed them in the past, but man, I'd love a second chance at them. So we're, we'll have to talk about, but, but talk to me about that. So, so this came out in 2018. Was that sort of a one and done or, I mean, it was, well, in fact, it was a third album. Was it, was it, a, are we still actively pursuing Thunderbird as a band or was the last one in 2018 sort of like the, the, the swan song? I don't know. I think it's, you know, Roger's an interesting character. He lives in Australia and uh, spends his time actually between Australia and Japan. And I got to do all the vocals on that I, so I, and produce it, which was a fun thing. It's just like one of those fun projects that was launched mainly to try to get like the film and television kind of market, because that's a very lucrative market these days. You don't even have to have a huge hit, but if you have a great song, it could fit in a movie. And that's a good way to sometimes launch something so i wouldn't say that that one's done and we did actually i've been chatting with him late he's coming to vancouver around christmas time so we're going to chat about maybe doing something else and uh pretty pretty excited i just love that doing these type of projects it's sometimes you're just doing something i mean i always said that to a lot of musicians say you know you got to do something because you love it, not just because you think it's going to be a big, huge hit or something, because that's the most important thing that you're enjoying what you're doing. And that then everything can fall together after that, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. And and I will encourage people to, to go to YouTube and check out Thunderbird Star, the, the name of the song. And, and I'm going to just quote here so that people can understand what we're talking about. From, sure. the, from the press release, it says, uh, Thunderbird is blasting through your speakers with riffage of ACDC level intensity. So, so yeah, so listen, here, here's a guy who, who's been on uh, records with Motley Crue and uh, Blue Murder and, and, and Black Veil Brides and all the. So you know you're not going to get some soft rock here. So go, go check out Thunderbird. But I do want to ask you this. In the Thunderbird press release, it does talk about how you also worked with Alice Cooper and Bon Jovi. And as I went through your yes. discography... I couldn't find which records of those you had done. So being a huge, um, my boy, totally sold on Bon Jovi, I still don't think they've done anything bad and fans will, will critique me nonstop for saying that because I, I just love them. But what Bon Jovi stuff did you do? Is that like the Born to Be My Baby video where you're all sort of sitting there doing, talk to me about that. It was the, I think it was the, let me see, I'm going to look through here. It's got to be New it Jersey. Was, 
it was done. It was no, it wasn't lit in New Jersey. It was the his big comeback album. Keep uh, the faith. Keep the faith album. That's right. Okay. So so I did background vocals on that album, along with uh, Dave Steele and I did that. But see, see a lot of the. I mean, a lot of a lot of the artists back in the day would, you know, like Motley Crue was always very generous about putting your name up there. But some some artists prefer to give you just an extra special thanks and give you their, you know, the proper credit, but that's, that's whatever, you know, you take the, I still, you know, it it worked out and I'm on that record. So, (laughs) and the Alice Cooper was a, it's a funny story behind that because uh, Jim Valance was, uh, gave me a call one day. He says, Mark, uh, can you come over and I want you to do some background vocals. I'm working with this guy. I said, sure. So I go to this place. We're working on these, I'm working on these background roles. All of a sudden, this guy comes downstairs at his personal studio, and it was Alice Cooper. So basically, I sat around the afternoon uh, working on demos for an Alice Cooper album. I don't know which one it was, uh, but uh, it was it was pretty pretty fun thing. But then several years later, another producer out of uh, Phoenix phoned me, and you know, a lot of artists are redoing their masters so they can license the film and television. Well. Uh, Alice Cooper was redoing an exact version of Poison, which myself and Dave did the background vocals, which was probably used in some movie or something. But uh, so, <laughs> so, so that wow. would have been one of the, it was a remake of Poison on that particular instance. But the other one was a demo session, so it was pretty what wonderful. What a what a gentleman he is, you know, and such and a gentleman. That, by the way, is. is... Can I say it this way? It's one of the little dirty secrets in the industry is that people re-record the songs. And sometimes they put out, like Kiss did a whole re-record thing and they put out an album of yeah. re-records. Uh, and yeah. the Scorpions did an album of re-records. But sometimes they go into the studio and they do a re-record and they don't tell anybody. But then you're watching a Hollywood movie and you hear it and you go, hmm, that doesn't sound exactly the same. Because, well, it's because it's not. And that's how they get around yeah. the sync rights and the mechanical rights and the, the yeah, all, all these yeah, yeah. All, all these little yeah. things. Um but yeah, and and well, as far too, as far as what happens, yeah, what happens a lot of times too, though, is that let's say uh, the the company that's a big major that owns the master right owns the master owns the master rights, the deal is too small for them. So it's a, they might have a side deal cut with the artist. Okay, well you can take this one, you know, whatever that kind of thing. I don't know, but I think that's what happens. Some of it. There's so many different deals. Oddly, that you may funny you just mentioned the scorpions i did an album with them as well yes face the heat but, and and that's what i'm gonna yeah. finish with because uh <laughs> i gotta go get my daughter and i just want to say one yeah. thing on the whole bon jovi thing uh they've been very very secretive over the years of who's yeah. done what because we all know that Yui mcdonald and and i had a conversation with richie sambora on air where we talked about Yui mcdonald so it's not yeah. a secret where he said yeah you know what Yui played on our albums all right uh, and but they're still he's still not credited on on keep the faith or on the first one or yeah. on the second one or on slippery or yeah and you know what you know? I don't you know I don't care about that exactly it's like it's it's uh, you know I know that I worked on it and it was registered properly you know uh, at the end of the day they're not like it's not like they're not, I don't get my royalties from that stuff so it's 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 it's, it's, it's you know because I always say you know the music industry is smoke and mirrors at the best of times people say. Are you a musician? I say, no, I'm a magician. You know, it's like smoke and mirrors. We're just, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a show. It's an image. 
And yeah. fans can't get upset at that. I mean, it's it, it's spec no. it's spectacle. I mean, it's it's a show, and it's there's yeah. an image to portray, and it's it's just the way it is. Uh, but let's finish well, with uh, yes. Go ahead. Yeah, it's like also with the, a lot of people get upset when people use tracks to a certain degree in live shows. They're still playing to those tracks, but if you have, you know, we spend days in the studio making these huge vocal layered sounds it becomes more like an instrument the only way you could you could you could do that if you had people you'd have to have like a choir of a hundred people to pull that kind of stuff off so sometimes people it's actually more people don't realize that actually playing to tracks and, and using some of those enhanced unless you're doing lip syncing which is that that's a whole other thing but most of the thing guys are really singing but if you're playing it as a drummer you know I've played the tracks and it, you have to be really good to do that because you it's you, you're stuck with a grid that you have to play with. It's not like you can jam with that track, you know, so it's uh, uh, it's not as dark as what people think. No, anyway, and, and the, my... <laughs> yeah, and the track thing is sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't. And I'll just take yeah. two examples. Right? Yeah. Like, let's take Bon Jovi and and Motley Crue, who since the 80s, when you hear you know, the background vocals to whatever, Living on a Prayer, You Give Love a Bad Name, or Dr. Feelgood, yeah. and you hear that big sound, well, that's being triggered. And, and, and now imagine going to that concert and you hear the song and all you hear is the three guys up front. Cause, you you know, would, you, it would be now. Yeah. It would sound like exactly. shit. So, so the fan would exactly. leave the show going, oh my God, they were so suck. fucking horrible. They suck. <laughs> So so yeah. then you, you give them the enhancement, and then the fan turns around and goes, oh, my God, they enhanced it. Yeah, so no, it's like, you can't win. You can't win. In this day and age, you can't, you can't win for losing, right? You say one thing, somebody, you know, just, you know, social media has got its positives, but certainly uh, everybody's become a critic. And, and everybody's become a politician or a journalist on the on social media. So, but anyway. And, and I agree good. with you about... Um, uh, the lip syncing being something different. So if that's the lead singer different. is doing his thing, thing and then the drummer or whoever hits that little trigger, you know, the sound yeah. guy and you hear the vocal and it's the, the backing vocals and it adds, I'm in. Or if you go see yeah, Peter Chris yeah. uh, doing kiss and he's doing Beth and they bring in the violins and um, yeah, we, we know yeah. it's a tape. We, you know, we, we were, it, it's when the entire show is just a crock of, that's that's a different thing. Um, yeah, so you got one guy pushes a button and there's the show, right? <laughs> yeah, and listen, let's not hide it from each other. That does happen. And, I know, and I it's know. it's across all boards. <laughs> it's it's country artists and heavy metal artists and pop art. If you think it's just a certain genre that's doing it, disabuse no. yourself of that. It is yeah, every absolutely. single genre. Listen, I went to see a, a heavy metal show a few years ago. And uh, the drummer was sick, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they played the show <laughs> with a tape. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, wait a minute. Uh, do they not know that we can see that there's no drummer on stage? <laughs> like, like, That's funny. What the fuck is this? Now, it was a club show and it was a smaller band and blah, blah. But it was just like, uh, you realize we can see that he's not there, right? You know, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, on that, Mark, I have uh, I have to get my daughter at school. Hey, so not a problem. Like, this has been a real pleasure. Though. Yeah, and I, but I got to do a part two, man. We we haven't covered Lover Boy. We didn't we didn't get to Scorpions oh. Face the Heat, and we also didn't get yeah. to some of these other questions that I have about 
you know, going in vocally and doing something for Cher and then doing something for Black Veil Brides and doing something for Annihilator. It's, well, in fact, I'll ask you real quick. That's sort of got to, you, you have to adapt, right? You, you don't just go in there Absolutely. with the Mark voice. There's, there's got to be Mark no, voice. No, right. no, you got to be, uh, Kim, somebody mentioned, we're, was talking about my session work on, and they were saying that you got, they call me like a chameleon or something. So I feel <laughs> that sort of fits the term, but you got to be able to, because I've sung on country stuff. I've done tons of children's music with different voices all you know uh so you just have to whatever it is is thrown at you you have to to react the proper way and uh and hopefully you pull it off and i've had the good fortune of having a lot of different projects so i feel very fortunate that uh that i've been able to try so many different styles and i love it i i pinch myself every day that i've been able to do this for my whole life so yeah it's amazing it, it really is amazing uh, on that as we say in montreal merci beaucoup monsieur la france thank you so much and uh hey listen merci. i didn't I, I didn't know it but you gave me a lot of joy over the years by being on these albums <laughs> well merci beaucoup à la prochaine fois à la prochaine <laughs> cheers sir see you online okay take care bye-bye bye-bye this has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.